0: Welcome back to another episode of the What Do We Do podcast. On today's show, I'm joined by Mr. Hollywood himself, Michael Patrick Shields. Get ready for a roller coaster of insight and inspiration as we explore the world of MPS. He's written over a dozen books, interviewed over 10,000 people, and currently hosts one of the top talk radio shows in the country. It's gonna be a great show, so let's go. Welcome back to another episode of the What Do We Do podcast. I'm your host, Dewey Stefan, and this is another guest episode. That's an episode where we bring on a leader from the community who has a story to tell, knowledge to share, and advice to give. And then we have them come on into the studio where they share their experiences with all of us because together everyone achieves more and today's guest is a true renaissance man he is a legend in the radio television travel and people business michael patrick shields is a connector he is going to connect the gen z's and the millennials with the gen x's and even the boomers for all of us today michael patrick shields welcome to the show so this is what do we do this, this is, is a, it this is about to be what do we do Absolutely. Right on. Yes. Thank you well, for having me. Thanks for being here, MPS. And we'll start with that. So um, you go by Michael Patrick Shields. I think that's your God-given name.
1: Yeah, that but is. But
0: Michael Patrick is also a common version, MPS. So maybe Big Dog, maybe <laughs> um, I don't even know. So what uh, what do you prefer and uh, what do you go by usually? Uh,
1: well, you know, I worked for a guy called J.P. McCarthy. It was Joseph Priestley McCarthy, a Radio Hall of Famer here in Detroit and around the state of Michigan. So he went by two letters, JP. I got three, MPS. But it was mainly because of my writing that I thought Michael Patrick Shields sounded very... uh, It's very pretentious to run around with three names. But I do. You can pick any one of the three. Combine them all, whatever you want.
0: Okay, well, we'll go back and forth throughout the show. So MPS... Thanks again for joining us today. And we're going to start with the right here right now. So you currently live in Beverly Hills, California. We're recording this episode in Royal Oak, Michigan. So we want to know what brings you here for this trip. But also we want to talk about your current gig and uh, where you live versus where that, um, you know, relays its information.
1: Well, uh, my program, radio program, syndicated morning show in the tradition of J.P. McCarthy, and I was lucky enough to work for Dick Purton as well, the two giants of Detroit radio. And I learned from both of them. They both went in the Radio Hall of Fame. And by the time I was done being a producer, five people that I worked for went into the Radio Hall of Fame. So I was an understudy and a producer, and without those people, I wouldn't be where I am. So I host a syndicated morning show. I pay homage to them every single day in gratitude. And, uh, it's on 13 radio stations across the state of Michigan based in the Capitol across the street from the Capitol building. And then we just expand and expand. And so we opened up a Hollywood studio because I believe that radio has to be entertaining JP, Dick Purton, uh, Drew and Mike, all of these people were entertainers, Jimmy Lawrence, the rest of them, Detroit was a great, great radio market. And so for me, to be around entertainment and be in Hollywood and be back in Michigan and back and forth is important because it it can't just be without a spoonful of sugar. I think Larry King and the great radio hosts of the past, Johnny Carson, TV, they put some sugar with it. And, uh, now everybody, you know, has a podcast. Everybody thinks that they're talking, but what about entertainment? So when I'm in Hollywood and I'm working out of that studio, I'm surrounded by entertainment. When you're in Detroit, you're surrounded by the car business, right? And that was exciting too. You used to go up to the Kingsley hotel and you'd see Lee Iacocca walk in for a drink after work. You know, these automotive barons in Hollywood uh, and in Beverly Hills and the rest, you've got entertainment industry all around. So I like to combine the two business, politics, lifestyle, entertainment,
0: but it's gotta be entertaining. That's, that's the way I go about it. I appreciate that and I understand that to a degree, Michael Patrick, but for our listeners and our viewers out there in Podcast Nation and YouTube world, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. live Eastern time mm-hmm. is your show. Yeah. So for all of those paying attention, that's 3 a.m. local. So 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. local when you're um, recording from the Hollywood Studio Live, Yeah. Um, That's not inconvenient. That's not, um, uh, you know, messing up your daily routine, so to speak.
1: Well, Larry King worked overnight on radio before he became a TV star, and George Norrie, who's from Detroit, went to Wayne State University. He's on 650 stations right now with his Coast to Coast AM show. That's overnight, too. There's a weird magic to working in the middle of the night. The West is going to sleep. East of the Rockies, they're waking up, and you can be behind and ahead and... uh, you know, because when these cameras go on, you might walk in here tired, but when that light goes on, it's electric. So the same things happen to me on the radio in the middle of the night. It doesn't matter what time zone I'm in. I've worked everywhere from Ireland to Monaco to Israel. And uh, when the light goes on, it doesn't matter where on the planet
0: you are, you're on the air. Absolutely. But you also need to sleep. You have to have your rest, right? You're not a robot. You're not artificial intelligence. You are human intelligence. So, you know, what is your normal routine, I guess, when you're in LA? And then we'll talk about um, what you just brought up in terms of you've recorded, I think, from Havana, Cuba. You've recorded from here in Detroit, Michigan, different time zones in different countries. So let's start with like what your normal routine is when you're um, at home, if you will, in LA, and then we'll talk about how it goes when you take the show on the road.
1: Well, I would say to you that in broadcasting, there is no such thing as normal because the news dictates, especially my kind of program. The big fear when you host a news talk program, and I interview 12 people a day, uh, is you can't miss anything. You don't wanna let anybody down and you don't wanna waste anybody's time. You got little segments, they're driving to work, you might get them for 20 minutes, you might get them for an hour, maybe during the day they listen on the podcast, but you can't miss anything. So uh, the day when it starts, I don't know where it goes. Something could happen and I'm ingesting news all the time, processing news all the time. But um, in terms of a normal lifestyle, if you want that, you better get a mail route because broadcasting is not the place
0: where that happens. Well, do you have like a, a standard, you know, sleep time? I mean, to again be on the air at three, are you up at one pre-production of the show? Give our listeners and our viewers, especially those younger ones, because we're going to talk throughout this episode about being a journalist and what the younger generation, those you know in school now or just coming up, that want to be a journalist, they want to be the next M.P.S. Um, what are they in for? Not just in terms of you know going where the news is. But also, in terms of, you know, you have to be ready two hours before the show or six hours before the show. We've had on um, other journalists. uh, We talked before the show. um, Mike Valenti was on and he has an afternoon radio show here in Metro Detroit. We've also had on Ben Lyons. He's out of New York and he's an entertainment reporter. You may know his name from Walking the Red Carpet on E Entertainment, et cetera. So, um, you know, from your perspective, let's just talk about, again, prepping for your traditional show of three to six local. When do you sleep? When do you have your dinner? When do you uh, hit the town and, um, and when do you sleep?
1: Well, it's exciting to be in morning drive because that is the premier time for radio. People are up, you know, they're listening. It's the biggest audience. You get to tell them things first. It's like you have secrets. If you get up early enough and you're informed, you, you get to tell them first. I worry sometimes about morning shows that are negative or too much news. Uh, so therefore we say, we try to leave out the boring parts And uh, I say, and medias dot virtus, and your Latin, I'm sure, tells you that truth is in the middle. We're a nonpartisan morning show. I don't want to send anybody to the office or to the gym or to the school angry or bitter. I'm going to talk to the guests and talk to the listeners in a way that I know their day is starting. Even the music we choose, the sound effects, there's got to be a little bit of humor in, in all that. So that's that takes being up before them, whether it's an hour or two hours or what have you. So that is the exciting part is getting people started with their day in a positive, not, uh, you know, Cinderella, there's reality, but we're not going to pour on any negativity because they're going to get that the rest of the
0: day. Well, that's good to know and good to hear. And I, uh, I do listen to the show. I've also been. Uh, You're blessed. the lead guest. <laughs> so again, do you feel I feel the want pressure to... of that. Yeah, you know. Well, again, I get up uh, 15 minutes before it starts. So I get up at 5:45 uh, a.m. here in uh, Metro Detroit. When I'm here, I have done the show from as far away as Maui, Hawaii, and I've done yeah. it from the you West Coast. You know, then I'll
1: give you a weird one. The weirdest time zone difference that I had was my honeymoon on Maui. In fact. Now imagine this morning show goes off at 6 a.m. Eastern so you're flying from Michigan to Maui this was the first night of my honeymoon one of my honeymoons and uh, it was a race against the clock because I had to be it's a six hour difference right so I had to be set up and ready with the equipment by midnight to be on at six and you land in Maui and they take us to the hotel and what have you and get in the room and set it all up and the first night of my honeymoon I was on the radio in the Marriott, whatever hotel it was, in the suite. My new wife is sleeping, and I just made it with 10 minutes to spare to be on the radio from uh, midnight till 3 Hawaii time. And then, you know, what happens is you wake up at, you're you're done with the radio at 3 a.m., the rest of the world's sleeping. In the islands, what do you do? Because, as you know, after, I'm sure, when you're done with the show, you have a lot of energy all of a sudden. You're both spent, and you're, like, ramped up. What do you do with all that? So that was the weirdest one. And and maybe that's why the marriage didn't last. On the radio for the first night of the honeymoon, she's in the bed, I'm
0: on the mic. Well, let's hope that's not the only reason, but maybe you married did. to the work. Uh, yeah, married. That is. Your, that's exactly it. And uh, again, on my trip to Maui, um, as you know, I did one uh, live broadcast with you because it was midnight. But then the rest of the time, again, we had another member of our team fill in Good. because again, I had to get that sleep, and uh, I knew that um, it would be just uh, messing with my uh, internal
1: clock. And Hawaii is not a late night place. I'm sure you noticed. That is a. They, they, everybody goes to bed early because they get up early because they want to enjoy the uh, snorkeling and the swimming and and all that. So I'm sure you had to hang in there to stay awake till midnight.
0: Well, absolutely, because again, the sunset—it's uh, more like 7 p.m. or yeah. 8 p.m. Absolutely. So, um, yes, it—you're uh, you're the last one standing and walking the halls, waiting for uh, one more my time. You know. Well, again, uh, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> or if you don't have that, you know, you're just uh, pacing the halls. Um, and I also did it early when we first started. Um, I was in Arizona. I was in Tempe. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the Super Bowl going on. There was also the um, Waste Management Golf Tournament. Yeah. And so that was only a. Three hour difference. So I was on your time. But again, that town was up, you know, till probably 3 a.m. or all nighters. And uh, I was playing golf and working. So um, we would try to go to bed by midnight, but I had to stay up till 3. So that actually was worse because I had to decide do I just stay up until 3 a.m. and do the show? Do <laughs> so you like to be where the action is too, don't well, you? Well, I do. But again, I like to sleep in terms of if I'm playing golf at 7 a.m., you have to. You learn this. So all the young listeners and viewers out there, again, you can't burn the candle at both ends for too long oh you'll burn out mm-hmm. so again um take that time to rest and recharge and you can do an all nighter and hopefully it's just to get your finals in there uh young <laughs> lads but otherwise you know you'll crash you know sometime the next day so um yeah, yeah it's a challenge in its own right yeah i don't want to miss anything no i i understand i get it um all right well besides the show which is uh in its 17th year is that right yeah
1: 17 years talking and many many years before that earning the ability to talk on the microphone by working for those Hall of Famers I mentioned.
0: Well, we've got some questions that came in um, before uh, we sat down that I'll go to later. And some of them talk about, oh. again, building up to um, you know, being uh, in, in front of the camera, if you will, or uh, in front of the microphone. But let's talk about the show a little bit more. And then we'll segue to your um, abilities as an author. And you are a, a published book writer. So we'll talk about that many times over, actually. But back to the show. So maybe talk a little bit about, um, you know, you said 12 guests a day. Yeah. Do I count as one of those? You do. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, you get the first one's easy. And because then you that...
1: don't know what I'm going to, you, you're going to give us the report, but yeah. we don't talk ahead of time about what we're going to talk about, right? No, that's you 100%. can handle it.
0: Uh, well, we try our best to handle it.
1: What is yeah. on in the news and the financial news and the markets. We talk about what we talk about. What matters to
0: people. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, and again, you, you take the lead and I'll do my best not uh, to. Uh, uh,
1: tomorrow, 38% of people are living paycheck to paycheck.
0: Is that that's what we're going to talk about? Should well, yeah, I'll
1: give okay. you a little clue right now. Okay. But that, then I get your reaction to that.
0: Yeah. That's a st- kind of a startling number, is it or is it? Oh, absolutely, it is, absolutely. Yeah. But I would say, and I'm not even uh, prepared, I would say that's probably the same number as it was 10 years ago, oh. 20 years ago. And again, whether it's a booming economy or a bust economy, I'm going to say that it just is a shame that the same group um, out there, it's 38%. And I don't know if it's the same group all the time, but I would say that the number... You know, doesn't, maybe it goes as high as 50% in some really, really bad times, but 30% is too high no matter what. So you know
1: in your business that people must, regardless of living paycheck to paycheck, find a way somehow to save, right? Absolutely. But that's hard to tell somebody when they're living paycheck to paycheck. I imagine paycheck to paycheck.
0: So it is, and so you have to continually um Give that information you have to continue to just say it over and over and over again hopefully the light bulb goes off Um, but again that's why i say that number is always kind of where it is because i think you know whether that's just the middle class or maybe that's the lower class there are very wealthy people that are paycheck to paycheck Um, there are a group we did a podcast on called the henry's the acronym henry have you heard of this no high earner Mm h-e not rich yet high earner they make two, three, four, $500,000 a year, but they haven't saved anything. They are in debt. And usually it's they're from law school, medical school, et cetera. But others just live high on the hog. They have to have a BMW before they have a Roth IRA, you know, um, savings for the year. So there's just a different mindset depending. And um, again, sometimes people get hit over the head and it works, but then there's another group that say it's easy come, easy go. So I would say again, thirty-eight percent. Give it plus or minus ten percent, like a polling number for a politics. I might think that's margin it, of error. Margin of error.
1: You'd be proud of me. I gave an eighth grade graduation speech once, and I said, uh, "All of you, I'm going to start you with a dollar." And I passed out dollar bills to the who, all the eighth grade graduation class. I said, "Tomorrow, get another dollar." Find change in your parents' pockets or in the middle of the car or whatever. Every day, try to get a dollar somewhere. And if you start putting it away now, you'd be shocked. You'd be shocked, right? If you got a dollar a day starting in eighth grade, I got fuzzy math, but if you did that when you got to 60, right? Absolutely. The compound interest, it would be, it would be, a st- I wish I did it. And I don't care if you get 10 pop bottles and go take them to Meyer and cash them in. I wish i did that
0: yeah absolutely i try to pass it on to my kids we talk a lot on this show about saving and investing and again reducing your debt it used to be deal with debt, but now with interest rates where they are, we say delete debt. Get rid of it. You can have a mortgage, and there are some other things that you know society considers good debt, but in general, you need to delete debt, and then you mm. need to save and then invest, and the power of compounding. One turns into two, two turns into four, four into eight, eight into 16, 16 into 32, etc. right? So, uh, M.P.S., mm. you're on the right track. Keep going, my friend. <laughs> it's
1: too late for me, but... If you're young, do it, promise me. Well, and
0: it's never too late for anyone, but yeah, if you're young, the, the, we always say uh, the best time to start is now, right? No matter where you are and up it and keep going. And um, all right, so on that note, come back to the show, who might be, you know, one of your favorite interviewees out of the 12, you know, who one or two of the all-time best guests or stories you have, and then maybe one or two of the uh, all-time, you know, I don't know, bloopers or um, I don't know, just <laughs> ones that uh, got away.
1: Well, I I, uh, was broadcasting from Kennebunkport, Maine, and it was the Cape Arundel Golf Club. It was the George Bush Golf Tournament, George Herbert Walker Bush, the 41st president. And I broadcast from the porch there for a number of years. And I was very lucky to get to know the Bushes and be around them socially because uh, I was friends with the golf pro there, Ken Rayner. And eventually we wrote a book together uh, about President Bush. So they had this little charity tournament every year quaint thing. And I would broadcast from the porch. And with 10 minutes left in the program, I'm sitting with John Meacham, the presidential historian, who you've probably seen on on the network TV and so forth. And here comes 43, George W. Bush, and sits down at the table in the middle of the segment. Now, I didn't know he was coming. I wasn't prepared. And the former president of the United States sits down and we talk and uh i'm almost not almost i am happy i didn't know he was coming because i might have been nervous as a cat and i would have had notes and i would have had all kinds of stuff but as it was he was a guy sat down at the table and we started talking and so that was one of my favorites because i mean nobody outranks a president right i didn't get the pope lately but if i do i'll let you know but to have him sit at the table like that and just have the conversation you would have if he sat next to you at the airport bar, he wouldn't be at a bar because he doesn't drink. But, but I'm saying that is the most natural thing you can hope for, because you can't prepare for it, and it's
0: totally human. That's awesome. That was a good one. Yeah, that's great. And what about one that again um, just didn't go the way it was supposed to go, or the most hilarious? Maybe it's the most I don't know drama. You know what? What was one that um, you know, went the other way? Robert De Niro,
1: the actor who was in The Godfather or well, countless other movies, right? Uh, Tony Cuthbert, my producer, scheduled him at 6.45 in the morning on the phone. And I said, "He's this isn't going to go well. He's not going to want to do this. Well, he was touting uh, something to do with vaccines before that became fashionable. And he was on with uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So they were a package. So the deal is when you get some of these guests, you can have them on, but you got to make sure you let them speak about the reason they're there. It's a trade-off. But I just said, Robert De Niro is not going to want to be on the I knew this is going to be bad. So he's all right, but he's not interesting. He's very low-key. And I just said, Mr. De Niro, when are you the happiest? Because he didn't sound happy. And he said, oh, oh, you got to ask me that at this hour of the morning. Then there's a big pause, and I said, At that point, I knew the listeners are really, I got to save my listeners here. They're suffering through this. So I have to do something that I normally wouldn't do to save it. I got to fall on the grenade and make a fool of myself for their entertainment value. So I used the oldest cliche in the book, which I never do with celebrities. And I, as he said, I said, I'm talking to you. And he said, yeah, 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 yeah. Because he knew that was a reference to the movie Taxi Driver, where he says, you know, you're talking to me, talking to me. And then he brightened up a little bit, just enough to save it. But uh, but yeah, you know, I knew. I made that up on the fly. I didn't plan that ahead of
0: time. And that's the spontaneous thing, again, we're always looking for well and again some people have that gift and really that's what that is is the gift of whether it's being outspoken or being extroverted or just being able to think quick on their feet others you know not so much they have another skill set out there so um, it sounds like again I knowing you as long as I have and again being who you are in this industry you absolutely have uh, that gift my friend
1: well you know I I was counting it up the other day it's like 47,000 interviews I've done in 17 years and then the the excellence of learning from J.P. McCarthy and Dick Purton before that. So if I have anything, it's because of all that. You know, what is it, 10,000 hours, they say, when you be, want to be an expert at something. So I hope I'm getting good at it, but I, I care about the listeners, and that's the constant thing is that they're listening right now. Hey, you know, it's a it's a talk show, and we stay in the middle. So if a politician or an elected official is giving me some Schedule One BS, I know the listener hears it. And they're saying, MPS, don't let them get away with that or her. However, they are a guest and I'm not going to be necessarily combative, but I find ways to let the listener know you and I are hearing this. We're hearing it together. We're going to be polite though. Sometimes it's a pause, extra couple beats. Sometimes it's a little like, hmm, or a one word. Really? But that tells the listener, because that's what I care about the most. Uh, I'm with you. Let's see what happens. So it's really fun. It's like a, it's just an amazing toy store. and you have that here too, on the
0: What Do We Do podcast. Well, we do for sure. But um, again, there's something with it being live, and so I've been blessed to be on your show live. You know, in the morning for just a few minutes. You do it for three hours, and some of your guest segments are certainly, you know, well longer than the three to five minutes that we might uh, spend together. But also I've done, um, you know, interviews um, locally that have been live when you know, there's some investment news dropping. and That's a whole nother ball game. Yeah. And radio versus uh, television, I always say I've got a face for radio. Ah. I got up That's the oldest cliche in the book, right? But you're you're handsome. You look great.
1: Well, I, I appreciate you're fit, that. But you're tall.
0: Well, you know the the black. It's the black shirt. <laughs> no, no, you know what no, I mean? No, no. It's all good stuff. But um, I do have a question before we segue to another. Um, One of your many talents, but you've had a long and successful career in radio. And we talked about, again, some of the people that you worked for before you are now, you know, the star of the show, as they say. But did you always, you know, have a passion for radio? Was that always your calling, or how did you kind of find your way into
1: it? I was a kid listening to radio. And again, Detroit was such a rich radio town. We had Arthur Penthello, we had Ernie Harwell on the baseball games. And so I would listen to Larry King overnight on my transistor after the Tiger games. And I, th- I didn't know if you could make a living doing it. Jeff and Jer were the comedy morning show on WMJC at the time, which became WCSX. And I thought they were funny and they were highly rated. And I said, I'm going to call them and see if, I, if they'll answer my call. Back then it was a rotary phone even. So uh, they had the morning show. I pretended I was sick, stayed home from school, and I sat there by the phone. And the second they signed off, you know, I dialed, hoping to catch them. Now, this is a very fateful moment because they answered the phone. I imagined they'd be cleaning up or whatever. And they did. And I said, I'm, I'm just a high school kid, but I'm wondering if I can ask you a couple questions about being in radio. These two wonderful fellas said, yeah, you can ask us, but come in here, watch the show, and we'll talk to you after. I'm in high school at the time. And uh, I was like, back then it wasn't fashionable, but I said, wait, what? And they had me come in. And I sat through, I was like the dog that caught the car. And I watched it and I saw how magical it was. And afterward, we sat there and they answered anything I wanted to know. And they became lifelong friends. And if they hadn't done that, I'm sure I wouldn't have been in radio. I'm sure of it. I know that. So when you listen to my broadcasts, which you can on 13 stations around the state or through streaming, there's a voice that introduces me. That voice is Jerry, one of those two guys from when I was in high school all those years ago. And it reminds me how badly I wanted to be in radio at 16, 17 years old. And it reminds me at my age now, don't you dare ever phone this in. You wanted it really badly act like you're 17 right now, we have been doing it 17 years, but that passion, you wanted it so bad. That voice reminds me every time. And um, really one of the most amazing things that's ever happened in my career, didn't happen to me, but when those two guys retired and they were big stars, they moved on to San Diego, Uh, they retired, Jerry called me and I said, I want to let you know I'm retiring. I said, you ought to be in the Radio Hall of Fame. He said, is there such a thing? I said, yeah, there is. So I nominated them, and they got accepted. And they had me call them and tell them, and we went to Chicago for the big induction. And for me, they gave me a career in radio. At the end of their career, to be able to give them that was so extremely satisfying for me. It's a story you would never make up. No one would ever believe it. But the kid who called the station got them into the Radio Hall of Fame. They gave him a career by encouraging them, me. And uh, this is the this is this is like magic stuff.
0: Showbiz. Well, that's um, a fantastic, you know full circle, as yeah. they say, which uh, puts maybe you, know, you at peace, but it just gives some completion and some, yeah. your ability to give back, you know, to those that got Amazing. you started. And I think that's a, just a, a tribute to your character. Many people just take, 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 take. And um, um, I have you on today because I want you to share those blessings of giving back to our audience. And um, that's just a prime example of how important that truly is. Well, I find that people like to be asked
1: for help and people say, I don't want to bother them. They like to be asked for advice. You probably like to be asked for help or like to be asked for advice. It makes you feel special. And then it's really nice when they keep in touch years later and say, you know, that advice you gave me, here I am now. It's very sweet. If you have interns, we have interns that work with us. I'm never happier than when they're doing very well. And we had a little something to do with it. Maybe But uh, but I wouldn't be here if it weren't for them and if it weren't for J.P. McCarthy and people who let me me make mistakes and let me work for them and and learn from them.
0: Yeah, absolutely, mentors. And if your mentors become friends. That's awesome. And we've Mm. talked about that on this show repeatedly as well. Well, that's a great segue, Michael Patrick. So before we get to this next topic of authoring books, and again, instead of radio, now it's written. We're going from radio to written. But before we do that, I want to thank everyone again for tuning in to another episode of the What Do We Do podcast. Without your support, we can't do this. So please continue to subscribe, uh, share, tell a friend. Together, everyone achieves more. This is season. Four and as we like to say, we're just getting started. Okay, so thanks for sticking with us. And the next topic again, let's talk about. Are
1: you still awake? Are you out there still?
0: <laughs> Thank you for sticking with us. All right, yeah, hit the pause button and go uh, do a dance, do some jumping jacks, and then uh, hit uh, play again. Have right, a margarita. That's it. Fantastic. <laughs> um, so yeah, as a, as an author, that's a whole nother world. So let's talk about that. You um, have you know your books. I want to get to that, but before we talk Talk about this awesome book that you wrote. Uh, Talk about some of the others that you wrote, I guess, as well, but they weren't, um, you know, um, only you, if you will. Uh, um, Talk about maybe just your journey as a writer. Well, the first, I'm weird because the first thing I wrote was a book. Usually you write columns and
1: you're a reporter and what have you, but the first thing I wrote was a book about J.P. McCarthy, who was number one for 30 years in Detroit, passed away at much too young an age at 62, and uh, I was his producer. And so I wrote a book about him that raised, uh, we, and all told, with the CD and the book, we raised a half a million dollars for charity. I gotta tell you, if you've ever been to the Barnes and Noble at Orchard Lake and Maple, I lived over there. When that book came out, every Sunday, because we didn't have internet, I would go first thing in the morning that Barnes and Noble and get the Detroit News, and they would list the books in the you know how they were on the, the top ten books. And one week it was fifth, the next week it was third, and the next week it was number one. And it beat out some really, it beat out Mitch album, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. There was a book about the the Kennedy assassination. And I got a chance to make J.P. number one again. That's how loyal I was to him. And uh, that was so satisfying, that book, to be able to do that. And that's what got me started. And then, you know, the thing about it was, Uh, He he was passed away at the time, but I like to be near the action like you. So I wrote a book for Ben Wright, the CBS golf analyst, uh, and um, he used to come on the J.P. show. And he always would tell me stories when I was the producer. He was the British guy, worked with Jim Nance and Gary McCord and Pat Summerall and all the rest of those giants, won the Emmy Award. And uh, he he said, well, people say that. No one ever does anything. I said, well, can I do something? He says, you think you can? I found a publisher. It's not easy, but Ben Wright's book, I lived with him. I wrote the book and it changed my life. And he and I were lifelong friends too. So I didn't become a broadcaster on CBS golf, but I got to live that life. And that's how I became friends with Jim Nance and the rest of it. So to me, to be in the near the action was, was fascinating. You get to live someone's life as you write a, an autobiography like that with them. So that's how I went about it. And I got, became addicted to that idea. And I wrote books with golf architects. I wrote a four dummies book, which very sadly is the one people recognize the most because it is such a monstrous machine of marketing that it was golf short game for dummies. And, uh, I'll never forget my agent. You remember they had the four dummies books and they had the books, uh, the idiot's guide to, and my agent said, the idiot's guide to golf rules. Could you write that? And I said, sure, I, I love the rules. He says, I'll get back to you. So they were going to hire me. And then they said they couldn't because I had written a dummy's book and it was a conflict of interest. And I said, wow, my literary career comes down to whether I'm an
0: idiot or a dummy, but really? I can't be both i like that that's very that's very apropos as they say right? i am both by the way <laughs> so uh well let's talk to our audience again and let them know so yeah again uh, at the time you might not have been starring on uh, the big show quite yet oh no, yeah but you uh, had a job as a producer for uh, J.P. McCarthy, the rest of it. But in, in the writing of that book, these other books, maybe talk through again, you know, kind of fast. But how long does it take to write a book? And maybe whether it's full time or part time, or just again, I'm sure we have a lot of listeners, a lot of viewers that wanna write, you know, their own memoir, <clears throat> their own novel, mm-hmm. you know, of the day. So what uh, what do they expect? I would say do it now because uh, it's it's easier than
1: ever to write your book, whatever it is, because now we have access to publishing we never had before through Amazon. So do it because you know, if you're not going to make a living doing it, but do it. It is like climbing a mountain. And I, if I had a dime for every person that came up to me, knowing I was an author that said, I got a great idea for a book, I would be Dewey Stefan instead of MPS. But I, I always told them, okay, do the outline. Do a 40-page outline on where it's going to go and what it's going to do and the marketing and all of it. Then tell me if you still have a book because they want you to write it. So there's that. But um, it's very satisfying. And uh, now that you can publish on Amazon and print on demand, you don't have a giant investment up front necessarily like you used to. You don't have to get an agent. You don't have to get a publisher. That was very hard to do. It was very hard to sell a book. But now you can do it. And the other thing I would say is, while I will tell you it's a year of your life or more, um, if you are disciplined about it, Ernest Hemingway said, if you can write eight pages a day, that's a lot. Doesn't sound like a lot, does it? But it is. But if you start compiling those eight pages, just like investing, sooner or later, you'll have a book, but you have to be dedicated to it. You You have to be a professional writer when you're doing it.
0: So let's talk about your uh, coup de grace, the um, invite yourself to the party, <laughs> yeah. right? So again, before we get to that, tell, me, uh, tell our audience, I guess, um, how many books in total have you written? Um, have you been a part of writing, et cetera? You know, and then uh, let's talk about invite yourself to the party.
1: I think we're at nine now. I collaborated with Larry King, the talk show host on one of his books. I, like I said, I like to be around the action collaborated on two books with Donald Trump before he was political. One was a golf book, one was a real estate book, and uh, then I did a golf architecture book, and I did the autobiography of Arthur Hills, golf architect, and uh, I worked on really the most special one probably is uh, um, I Call Him Mr. President, Stories of Golf, Fishing, and Life with my friend George Herbert Walker Bush, and that was written with his friend Ken Rayner, and that's why I was so close to the Bushes. And that's a story about what it's like to be friends with the president, travel with the president, play golf with the president, fish with the president, wonderful guy. And when we had the book launch party in Kennebunkport, that was probably the moment of my career because George and Barbara Bush came to the opening and sat in third row because they would refuse to sit in the first row. That wasn't the kind of people they were. And for me to be up there speaking in front of a president. i mean. I remember when I was a kid, I'd go to his speeches and I would never imagine one day that I would be speaking and he would be listening. It's bizarre. But uh, anyway, that was probably the crowning moment of my career. But um, I did write a book called Invite Yourself to the Party. And this is a theory. You know, I heard somebody say once, I'd rather have roses on my table than diamonds on my finger. Meaning you can spend money on Prada shoes and Gucci bags and diamond rings and fancy cars, or you can spend money on experiences around the world. Here in Michigan, what a, you know beautiful things that you get to do, and they can't ever take away from you. <clears throat> Travel to Italy or have a great dinner with the people you love. Hawaii, uh, and so I took that to heart, and uh, that was the main subject of the book: to live your life that way, and. The invite yourself to the party part came because when I was young, like I said, I like to be around the action. And in order to do that, you got to get out of your house and do it. So to ask Jeff and Jer, how do I be in radio? To apply to be the ball boy for the Michigan Panthers, another silly thing that I did, but they said yes. I went to work for the PGA Tour, and the reason they hired me was they said every time I went to the mailbox, there was a letter from you. I had a lot of those kinds of experiences because I didn't know any better. And I said, I'm just going to invite myself to the party. And I did. And so that's what the book is all about that, you know, sometimes you will get shot down or you won't get an answer, but I I have a stack of letters too that that came back from people that said, thanks for the letter. We're not going to be able to do it, but it didn't dissuade me. I mean, at least I got a letter back. That was pretty cool before email. So the whole theory of invite yourself to the party, uh, to me happened when I would be in the room with famous people and i say, oh, there's the chairman of the Ford Motor Company, oh, man, I would love to talk to him. But I was young and i said, say, what am I going to say to that guy? What is he going to want to say to me? And I would think, oh, what am I, I going to say? What am I going to say? It might be a, fam- a good looking woman, might be a celebrity, might be somebody in the world that would be helpful to me. And uh, I would fret over it, shy. And then they would leave the party and I'd be like, you missed your chance. So the pain of missing the opportunity was worse than any embarrassment I would have faced by having them blow me off. Which, by the way, almost never happens, no matter what. So that's why invite yourself to the party became a theme to me. Because I never, I refuse, I would never do that again. I don't want to feel that pain of missing an opportunity. It's like betting the six and eight on a crap table. You watch all those numbers roll. So I I have done it. And even to this day, I still do it. Uh, in Hollywood, you mentioned our studios there a couple of months ago. I was at the Sunset Tower Hotel at lunchtime. And Al Pacino came in. I don't know about you, but I'm a huge Godfather fan and a huge Al Pacino fan. And he walked right by my table and he sat down. And, hey, you know, 10 feet away. Now, you don't bother celebrities in that setting. You got to be careful how you choose your moment. But I knew I wasn't going to let him leave that room without coming up with something. So I'm spinning. What can I say? What can I say? What can I say? And then I said, you know what you're going to do? You're going to come up with it. So I physically pushed myself up from the table and propelled myself toward his table, knowing my mind was never going to let me do it. I had to physically start this thing and then my mind would catch up and it worked out great. He was very friendly. We had a couple of laughs. In fact, uh, at the end of the lunch, he was leaving. We were leaving together. We had a couple of laughs. You you run into celebrities the same way too, but I wasn't going to miss that. You don't imagine how embarrassed I would have felt for myself. Like if I left, he left and I didn't get a chance. I don't want to say I could have spoken to Al Pacino. I want to say I did. That's how things
0: happen. So some people don't have that gumption, that go-gettiness. I was recently, we were talking before the show, in um, California um, as well. And friends of mine that live out there uh, took me to a pizzeria just outside of West Hollywood or something. And uh, Danny DeVito and his wife were at the next, Rhea Perlman? Yeah. And their families, they were sitting like two tables over. And... um, one of the local friends of mine that lived there, you know, whispered, look at, there's Danny DeVito, there's Danny DeVito. And it took me a second to remember, you know, who he was and see him. I'm like, oh, wow, that's great. But again, I'm at a point now in my life that anyone who knows me or has seen me, I, again, I don't shy away from saying people. I try to be appropriate, and if it's not the right setting, to give them, you know, their privacy and all that. But I do, I, I'm, you know, built the same way in terms of my ability to just... Say, you know, what the heck? Just go for it, right? I'll probably write the same <laughs> takes book called a while. Just Go For It. And uh, so, again, I said, I'm, I'll go say hi to him. I'll go say hi to him. Did I you? Have, well, uh, yeah, I waited till he, they were walking out. And, yes. I, and I had, and, you know, I have this thing where we just say booyah and fist pump. And so, same thing. I said, uh, you know, Mr. DeVito, can I, you know, bother you for a minute? And he says, it's no bother. What do you need? And uh, uh, his wife kept going and the family kept going. But he stopped and my friends were around this table. And they're, again, I don't know if they're more in awe of me talking to him, who's just a normal guy from my perspective or they're just like oh my gosh like this is insane and again we just said you know can i get a fist pump and a booyah and how are you maybe (laughs) and uh, he's like sure so he we have a photo with him doing like this after the fist bump he went like this and uh you know it was just again carry on um yeah just you know just for that having that moment versus um having it slip by and oh man i could have but i have friends who they don't need to have that moment they're just different they want to just watch and see. Mm -hmm. um, They don't need that action, so to speak. And um, I just love talking to people and uh, the engagement. I asked Mario Batali one time, because
1: he summers in Traverse City, the celebrity chef with the Crocs. He came on the radio with me and I said, when we see you in a restaurant in Traverse City, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to not do? Because he's a worldwide celebrity, right? He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, say hi. He said, Wait till I'm coming in or when I'm leaving, just as you did. He's not in the middle of the meal, and he says, "And please, rather than just a picture, tell me your name and say hello." Because some people say, "Can I get a picture?" You know, and they have a, a you know more of a personal exchange. So your your what you did was exactly what he suggested when he's leaving. That way, you sort of walk with him.
0: Yeah, I'll sometimes go up in the beginning. I mean, it's all just again, on the um, you know on the moment, and I guess what it is. And there have probably been a few times that I've decided it was best to not yeah, engage. Sure. And uh, again, some people have strengths that are um, networking with people and connecting. And I think that you and I are both very similar in our abilities to do that. Others, again, they're just awkward, but they can build something that I would not ever be able to build. They could build in an hour, you know, Maybe. the more mechanical. You something. don't know, no. yeah. But that, uh, that whole theme of invite yourself to the party can
1: be extrapolated past celebrity run-ins, of course, because in business, I'm sure you had to make some tough
0: calls. It's just an anything. Go for it. Write that novel. Um, Ask out the boy or girl, man or woman that you want to, right? Just, um, again, seize the day. So, again, I took it way more than just the literal trying to get in the parties. And, again, for our younger viewers and listeners, um, there is Wedding Crashers. So maybe take a little spin on uh, the Wedding Crasher idea and just uh, enjoy yourself without embarrassing yourself, right?
1: Yeah, I I did it in London one time. There was a place called Annabelle's. I'd had a couple of drinks, and I'm like, I wonder. I heard Princess Diana went to Annabelle's. I bet I could meet an heiress if I went into Annabelle's. And this is in the book, Invite Yourself to the Party. So I said to the cab driver, oh, I'd like to go to Annabelle's. He said, you know, that's private. I said, of course I do. (laughs) So he drove me there, and this Middle Eastern company couple was going down the steps, and I'll just draft in behind them. And I did. I went down the steps. I went into Annabelle's. I went to the bar. I had a scotch. And uh, then it occurred to me
0: you, have, me. you have terminology. I drafted in behind. Yeah. Them. Very you, strategic. You get close
1: enough. You feel they think you're part of the group. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the only problem is it's a club. So I realized, how am I going to pay for this scotch when it's time to go? But I was going to stay the whole night till something happened, whether it was an heiress or who knows. And uh, so my big mistake was I had to go to the restroom, and the restrooms were near the front. So I go to the front, and there were curtains on each side, and I I get a 50% shot at this. I turn to the right, and here comes the big, tall French maitre d'. He says, sir, surely as a member, you know that the men's room is on the left. I said, yeah, of course I do. And he said, and surely as a member, you know that we don't allow this kind of apparel. I had a camel hair suit and tan pants with a tie. He says it must be a matching suit. So I don't know. Busted. Where, I don't know where I summoned this, but I said, "Since when?" He said, "Well, it's true. During the holidays, we relax the rules a little bit, but we're back to standard, you know, apparel now. But it's okay for tonight." I said, "No, no, 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 no." I said, "As a member." I would never violate the rules or expect to be treated differently. I said, I think I will. I'll just leave and I'll come back the next time. Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> so I left. But, you know, it's a story to tell. I had a scotch at Annabelle's on Annabelle's and I faced off against the big, tall French maitre d'. And uh, sometimes you're going to have that. But, but why not? Absolutely. What do you have to
0: lose, friends? absolutely (laughs) the experience right absolutely the story to tell well we have a lot more to get into but yes absolutely but we're gonna segue into my favorite part of the show Uh okay and so for all those out there listening and viewing we know that this is the what do we do podcast okay but we're now entering a segment that we call what Michael do or maybe what Michael Patrick do or maybe what (laughs) MPS do and that is Michael Patrick what would MPS tell his 18-year-old self or other 18-year-olds out there today to live their best life? I would say don't worry about chicks, to be honest.
1: I mean, I spend a lot of time wasting time on worrying about women, and that is the honest answer that I can give you. I would like to have all that time back, and uh, uh, so that's really not, if there's a woman listening too, I wouldn't worry about a man. Maybe you can extrapolate that into not worrying about what other people think about you. Because as I sit here at 56 years old, I would like to be 17 again. And I would like to know then what I know now, because I'd be lethal. (laughs) But I did all right. I mean, I had fun. And if uh, one of these lights falls on my head right now, nobody worries about me because I had a good time. So if you can live that way, that you don't miss anything. Uh, that, that would be my strongest advice.
0: Don't worry about it. It'll be all right. Well, great. That's great advice. And so everyone out there listening, again, viewing, please uh, heed that advice and take that knowledge and uh, do something with it. Don't waste your time on women or men. Seize the day for the opportunity. Well, try that...
1: not to worry. Try not to worry. And, and the other thing is, oh, yeah, well, this is a big one, too. You ever been sitting on the fence and you can't decide one way or another? that is the most draining damn thing and it takes you a day or a week or a month to decide the energy and the stress that it caused what am I going to do what am i going to do pick one or the other because it'll work out what as long as you pick something and run with it you'll be down the road anyway and you'll be somewhere else that maybe you didn't expect to be but don't don't like stress over a decision make a decision and go paralysis by analysis if you have the ability to do that the great CEOs I think are able to size things up make decisions and be decisive leaders too um, if they're not taking polls all the time to figure out you know how to satisfy their their base but but yeah I would that is the other thing I would say don't sweat it it'll be all right good advice fair
0: enough um, easy to
1: say not easy to do
0: well again good advice. Fair enough, and it isn't easy uh, to do, but um, everyone out there can do it, right? Um, next uh, topic, not too long ago, you went running with the bulls. Yes. <laughs> Would you mind telling that story uh, for our audience? Yeah, I turn, I'm turn. i writing a book about it, in fact, called The Boy and the Bull. Oh, another book's on its way.
1: It's on the way, Okay. Yeah. I was turning 50, and I've been for years saying I'm going to run with the bulls one day, and I said this is the year to do it. Another thing, just say it, do it. So I went, and uh, it was a very emotional experience in Pamplona. Uh, it was thrilling. It was exciting. It was whimsical. It was hilarious. But uh, you're a father, so you know. I had my son with me who was, I think, 17 at the time. And the night before, after all this buildup, all this travel through Spain, he says, I don't think you should do it at dinner then the next morning. I said, "Well, but we've come all this way," and I said, "You know, the odds are with me." He says, "Dad, you really think the odds are with you?" He says, "You're not fast. You've never done it before," and he said, uh, "You're fifty years old." He said, "If if there's a, a a pool of people that are likely to get gored, you're in it—a risk pool like the insurance." And I said. You know, there's about 900 people in six bowls so uh, I started to feel a little guilty like should I put the kid through the trauma of watching this because he wasn't going to run he was going to be in a balcony watching and I said how old was he at the time like 17 okay and uh, he said well tell me this are you doing it for the show or are you doing it for you imagine a 17 year old kid saying that I said I'm doing it for me he said well then effing do it well So uh, we, you get up in the morning, it happens at eight in the morning in Pamplona. I set the alarm in my life, Dewey, have I never done this before, but I had to set an alarm to wake up and drink before I went to run with the bulls. I bought some Russian vodka from the street, you know, and you wear the all white and the the handkerchief and everything. And uh, so I had a couple of vodkas and we went to the church where you pray before you go, everybody goes there to pray for their safety. And then you go and you wait. <clears throat> and Harrison was up in the balcony and I tried to say, you know, don't worry about it. And then at eight, you hear a cannon shot. That means they're opening the gates. And then you hear the second cannon shot, which means all the bulls are out. Six of them are coming. And the, uh, um, the thing that's dangerous is it's a stampede of people and bulls. Because once they start coming you're running whether you like it or not because all of those people are running to escape these bulls it was just thrilling old world ridiculous and uh one of the one of the easily the great moments of my life for sure and uh i survived at that morning three people got gored it was 2017 and one of them was an american who got gored in the testicles oh so the news goes back through nbc and all the news out to america that an american got gored in the testicles. Well, you can imagine what anybody who knows me thinks. That had to be him. <laughs> but it wasn't me, thank goodness. But it was a very, very, very exciting experience and the, uh, the culminating thing of it all was that the next day we were down back in Madrid and we got to go watch uh, a matador practice. And that was fascinating too and he'd been gored before and all that. So I'm, you know, Watching this and paying attention, it's in a town called Toledo. Next thing I know, Harrison is out there with a matador in front of a uh, in front of a bull, and the matador gives him the cape to do the thing. And I'm like, what? And the 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 uh, horns come, and he does the cape, and then he and then he runs, and the matador runs, and they get. And I thought, this is life. From one minute, he's telling me not to do it, and now. My son has outdone me, faced one of those things face-to-face like a matador. And it, and I've, I've told him many times, you know, your father is the only guy who wants you to outdo him, you know, for your kids. You know this. Yeah. And uh, so it was just, again, a story that is so magical you couldn't make it up. I survived with 900 people. He went face-to-face with a bull, Harrison did. And you're going to do that a lot in your life. He took the bar exam. He went to law school, graduated like you from the University of Michigan. And uh, there's nothing more satisfying than, than seeing your kids uh,
0: succeed. Seeing them succeed, absolutely. I, I'm with you, and I'm just getting started you know, on that um, young adult um, part of the journey with my kids and every day... Um, it's certainly a blessing. Absolutely, it's exciting at the same time. Sometimes there's moments where you're like, "No, what are you doing? What did you do?" Maybe instead of <laughs> "What do we do?" it's "What did you do?" Maybe I'll uh, have a show like that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but on that same you know on that same uh, breath, you mentioned uh, ben, you know back with "Running with the Bulls," how the news came back to America, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, again, with the time that's left, maybe let's talk about. Um, news back then versus the news now and where the news will be in the future i think uh you know radio with your show is still there but is it dying is it gonna be reborn is it maybe having a rebirth now are podcasts relevant let's talk about social media in general and how again uh our younger generation you know they don't get they don't watch um the local news channels anymore Frankly, they stream it. They hear from their buddy Al, uh, their friend Susie. Uh, What do you think about the whole news flow and uh, where we are and where we're going?
1: I have a theory called it's the singer, not the song. And when it comes to entertainment, if you like the singer, you'll listen to the song. Um, If it's your favorite song sung by a terrible singer, you don't want that, right? So I think the the thing that saves radio is it's immediate. It's now. And the performer, if he has any kind of personality, is the singer. So you want to be connected to that friend. There are people who that's their only friend the whole day. They're sad when the show ends because their friend's going away till tomorrow. Uh, that is an example of why radio means a lot to people. Um, you don't get that on an app necessarily, you know, and, uh, so that's why I think the, and, and Detroit was a good example. We used to have the most creative radio in the city. We don't anymore, but we did. And, um, so if you put some creativity with it, some music, some thought, some humor, and you can bake that all into a cake, people, people love it. Um, I'm worried about artificial intelligence. I'm worried about sources. My mother sends me things. I said, "Mom, where did you read this?" Oh I read it on Facebook. I said, "Yeah, but who wrote it?" And so there's that. Uh, also, I think that the constant negativity of cable news all day long, I, sh- I, I canceled cable because I would leave it on. And why am I ingesting this all day long? this Somebody likes dividing us and I don't want to be divided. I want to be the United States of America, not the divided states. There is currency in negative news. So I don't know if the horse is out of the barn, the genie's out of the bottle, if we're ever going to be able to get back there again and what would provoke that or cause that. But I do worry about that. So I ask people, be very careful You know what you're listening to and what you're ingesting. Um, influencers is another word that I just despise. Uh, to, to, first of all, the presumption that you are an influencer disqualifies you in my book. If you happen to influence people, uh, okay, but to set out to do that is worrying to me. Um, I like the listeners to come up with their own opinions. You know, I remember Rush Limbaugh, I used to call them ditto heads. I don't want ditto heads. Um, so. <laughs> it's very, very weird, uh, where we are now and all that. And that's why I try to be positive on the morning show. I try to let the guests speak one word questions sometimes are the best. And, um, at least people know that I'm not going to BS them. You can't BS the listeners. Dick Purton always told me, don't broadcast down, go up because they want to come with you. And same on this podcast, right? You're not speaking down to people, telling them to save or telling them to invest. You're saying, let's go together. Let's get up there and we'll and we'll do it
0: together. Let's do it together. Absolutely positive vibe all the way around.
1: Yeah, and it isn't like you're ignoring the realities.
0: You're managing the realities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think some try to get away from their troubles with entertainment. Others, again, need the information and they need to get it from a source. And mm. then that gray area in between what's entertainment, what's news. And again, when the news is being spun around you know, for a purpose and uh, what do they say? There's uh, three sides to every story. Your side, my side, and the inside or the truth or something is somewhere in between, right? So yeah. as we're wrapping up, um, Michael Patrick, how about, you know, let us know anything else on your mind that you'd like to share with our listening and viewing audience today before we uh, wrap up the show.
1: I've, I don't have any wisdom to say other than invite yourself to the party. Take a shot. Do it. It'll be all right, whatever happens.
0: That's awesome. Well, again, we're so blessed to have you here. Can I get a little booyah from oh, booyah! you? Booyah! Booyah, my friend. <laughs> what an honor. Well, as we always say when we wrap up the show, live your best life be radically generous, a great big booyah to ya. And this is another episode of the What Do We Do podcast with the legend, Michael Patrick. And we're just getting started. The opinions expressed in this program are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. It's only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risks and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional.